you can open your Bibles to Acts 27, Acts 27, and uh, let me read, we'll uh, examine the entire chapter and then the first 11 verses of Acts 28. We're getting near the end of our study, so next week is, I like to celebrate when we finish a book, so next week, usually I like to celebrate with cake, but since I realize you love pie so much, um, we might have a pie or two. Uh, so I'll come, make sure you come uh, next week, and we'll finish finish our book up. But meanwhile, let me let me read uh, Acts twenty seven and our passage for you this morning. Now, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and getting aboard an uh, Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia. Asia, we set sail accompanied by. Aristarchus of Macedonia of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we set sail and set sail and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it, and when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived after arrived off Sinidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, and with difficulty we sailed past it and came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasia. And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to advise them and said to the men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was being more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to set sail from there. And if somehow they could arrive at Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest, the spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, thinking that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along the shore of Crete. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Eurekilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave weight to it and let ourselves be carried along. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirded the ship. Fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way, let themselves be carried along. And the next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they cast the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Man, you, had, you ought to have followed my advice to, to not set sail from Crete and to avoid the, this damage and loss. And now I advise you to be cheerful. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. But this very night of an angel, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, be cheerful, men, for I believe that that God, believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. We must run aground on some island. But when the fourteenth night came, as we were be, being carried about in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors began to suspect that some land was approaching them. And when they 
took soundings, they found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere in the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and were praying for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay down out lay out anchors from the bow, people said, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away their ropes to the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your salvation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. And having said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them became cheerful, and they themselves also took food. And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they were noticing a bay with the beach, and they were resolving to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, and they let them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach with striking a reef where two seas met. They ran the vessel aground, and the bow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. Now the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and ordered that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. The rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And, and so it happened that all were brought safely to land. When they had been brought safely through to shore, that we learned that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us extraordinary affection, for because of the rain that had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us, us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And, and when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were waiting for him to soon swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and seen nothing unusual happen to him, changing their minds, they began to say that he was a god. And on the areas around that place were lands belonging to the leading men of the island, namely Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying afflicted with fever and dysentery, and Paul, going to see, see, going to see him and having prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being healed. They also bestowed on us many honors of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Now at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had, had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Just last week, Montano, Montana voters rejected a referendum that required medical care to be provided to infants who are born alive after an attempted abortion. This is what America has become. About a month ago, there was a conference in Los Angeles about the Puritans, and, and, and two of the speakers were John MacArthur and, and John Piper. During the conference, the, the two were put on the stage for a Q&A, and the question that was asked to him was this, how can America prepare for persecution? MacArthur commented on how, in his view, today's culture is not really postmodern, though it's pre-Christian. 
It, it's paganism 2.0. It's the, it's the world uh, that Paul lived in during the book of Acts all over again. Any semblance of Judeo-Christian values have, have, have disappeared. He said it, it's as, it's as, it's as, it's as if Jesus had, had never died or risen again. It's as if there was never something called a Bible uh, that was written, and, and that because of this, this new world we're, we're living in, this new chapter that we're undergoing, we, we prepare for persecution by expecting persecution. John Piper then added uh, to, this, to, the, to the answer by, by warning then about the, the temptation to, to get bitter or angry or, or hostile toward a, an every, ever-increasing hostile culture. As opposition rises against the church, the temptation to, to, to be angry is going to be a real one for us. The temptation to be, to be bitter at our neighbors, at, at, our, at, our, at our employers, or at our government leaders. The, the temptation to put all our hope in, in politics and elections is, is no small thing that, that we must protect our hearts from. And that's what the last third of the book of Acts is trying to teach the church. After we get the message right... After we engage in the mission to, to spread the message, the, the church needs to make sure that when the, when the world responds with hostility, like it's responding with hostility to the, the Apostle Paul, when, when mobs surround us, when we're hauled before courts, when we're set in chains to, to Rome to appeal to Caesar, we want to make sure that, that when that happens, our character is above reproach. Church... Luke's point is, make sure your character is godly. Church, church uh, make sure that when you're being examined by the, by the prosecution, you can say with clarity of conscience, I am innocent of all charges. I am here on trial for one reason alone, and that is the gospel of Christ. When the fires get hotter in this country, don't get angry, brothers and sisters. Don't get bitter. Don't get swept up in political warfare. Stay obedient to the word of God. Because God doesn't need more criminals in the world. There's already enough of those. God needs more heroes of the faith who will not stop preaching Christ crucified in the face of a God-hating culture. In the last third of the book of Acts, it places its spotlight on the character of the church. Luke arranges the facts of his account in this last third of the book to highlight the nobility of the message and the royal qualities of the church. The church is upright and above reproach. She has a gospel that is good and powerful. The gospel changes lives, and, and the gospel must be believed. In today's passage, the, the emphasis, once again, is on the, the righteousness of the church as seen through the the life of Paul, on a perilous sea journey to Rome. In chapter 27, Luke borrows Greek words and phrases from the Odyssey to, to make a contrasting point about Paul. In the epic literature of the Greco-Roman culture, the, the first and finest expression of Hellenistic ideals, ideals were filled with sea adventures that involved terrible storms and wrecks. That means... This historical account of Paul's sea journey to Rome would, would immediately grab the attention of a first century audience. For us, chapter 27 is kind of, kind of strange because of all the details about this sea journey. You, you should be asking, why, why does Luke spend so much time describing the intricacies of the nuts and bolts of, of, of a sea trip when a few verses would suffice? 
And the answer to that question is that Luke knows the the current cultural intrigue regarding sea voyages. And and Luke recognizes that in God's providence, Paul's uh, real sea journey to Rome bears similarities to much of the popular genre of literature, especially the Odyssey, that he makes sure to include every detail of the sea voyage to highlight what a Christian hero looks like compared to the best kind of hero a Greek pagan culture can think of. In the first century, everybody had had read or, or heard the story of Homer's Odyssey. In the Odyssey, the main character, Odysseus, he escapes from prison and he takes a long sea journey back to his kingdom in Ithaca. The story of the Odyssey is about a criminal who becomes a hero. Many, many, however, throughout the annals of history, and maybe you've kind of dealt with when you were in school, they have questioned, they have, they have struggled with whether or not Odysseus was really a hero or a criminal. And likewise, the question this, this text asks us is similar. Is Paul a criminal being transported to Rome? Or is Paul a hero on the right side of justice? Does he deserve to die a criminal's death? Or does he deserve a hero's reward? See, for the first century audience, uh, chapter 27 is the indisputable account of a hero. Whatever you think of Odysseus, what will be clear by the end of our time together in these verses is that Odysseus cannot hold a candle to Paul's righteous character. And, And Paul embodies the church. No matter what kind of dirt our culture throws in our face, no matter how salacious the charges against the church are, what Luke wants to make crystal clear is that the church preaching the the gospel to the end of the world is not a gang of criminals. Luke wants to hammer home the, the truth that the church is filled with indisputable heroes preaching a gospel of perfect righteousness and living lives worthy of that gospel. Are we that church or not? today's text, Luke will describe a, a harrowing sea journey to Rome with Paul on, on board as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. In this historical account of Paul's sea journey to Rome, we will ask and answer this question. Is Paul a criminal or a hero? Is Paul a criminal or a hero? And then consider whether or not you and I are the kind of heroes God is looking for. Point number one. Uh, verses 1 through 12, people or prophet, people or prophet, point number one. One of the characteristic qualities of a criminal, especially in the business world, is greed. Every so often we hear of a tragedy, uh, whether a boat sink, a boat sinks or, or a building implodes. I know uh, about a year ago there was these buildings that imploded in Florida, and, and it was found out that the, 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 past, the permits were, were expired, that the, that the owners of the, the buildings uh, never bothered to keep up with the, the safety issues, and it, was, and it was for the sake of profit. Because, because criminals, they, they put their own interests before others in, in a reckless kind of way, in, in an extreme way. In these first verses, we're going to consider whether or not Paul is that kind of person. Is Paul a criminal? Is he a greedy criminal? Or, or is he a hero of the church? In verses 1 and 8, uh, Paul sets sail for Italy. Paul's trial before King Agrippa and Bernice in chapter 26 ended with the conclusion that Paul was innocent of the charges made by the Sanhedrin, but since he appealed to Caesar, to Caesar he must go. And so verse 1 of chapter 27 picks up where we left off, and, and for the first time in six chapters, we, we find the, the first person plural pronoun, we. 
verse, verse 1, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy. The last time the pronoun appeared was in chapter 21 when Paul arrived in, in Jerusalem. And the we here is at the very least referring to the writer of Acts, Luke. Luke is, is with Paul on this sea journey. He, he is describing what he experienced. He, henceforth, he knows all the details. So Luke, along with Aristarchus in verse 3, are allowed to accompany Paul to the rest and the rest of the prisoners to Rome. And so they begin their, they, 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 they enter a ship, and the, and, the, and the centurion is named Julius, and, and they, they, they begin their journey in verse 3. And uh, from a Jewish perspective, if, if you were living in Israel, Rome is the end of the earth or it's very near to the end of the earth. And Paul and his friends, they're, they're taking the gospel there just as Jesus commanded his disciples in, in Acts 108 to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Paul, according to God's sovereign plan, is, is going as far as it is possible in the first century. There are not too many places far farther than Paul. So, so is, is, is Paul a criminal, though? In verse 1, he's delivered to the centurion named Julius along with other, other prisoners, and they head so, 70 miles north to Sidon, where Paul is allowed to meet his friends in verse 3. And there's a map up here. Is there a map? Okay, let me, one second. I have Another one here or over there? Okay, well, uh, okay, what you do have to do, you guys can follow along. I don't know why this screen doesn't take my language. Well, so they're in Sidon and, and they, 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 they go to Sidon in verse 3, and they, Paul is allowed to meet his friends there. Uh, uh, Apparently, as a, as a Roman citizen, uh, Paul has earned the trust of Julius to, to some degree. We, we presume a, a Roman soldier accompanied Paul. And, and, uh, and so here, if Paul is a criminal, he, he's being treated pretty well for one. It's AD 60 in the autumn, and it's late in the trade season to, to be making such a long journey in Rome. The, the weather is, is very precarious. The winds are, are stronger and more dangerous. So the, the common route to, to, to Rome this late in the game was, was to hug the coasts of, 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 uh, of the islands and the continents where the winds were not as strong against them. They, they land in Mira and Lycian, verses 4 and 5. And, and in verse 6, the, the centurion... Uh, he finds a private ship from Alexandria heading to Rome. The ship is, is part of a grain fleet carrying wheat from Egypt, Romans, Rome's chief source of grain. Uh, and, and so this ship is in, is in Myra, and the ship is directly north. If you see Alexandria on that map, Alexandria, Egypt, if you go straight north, you'll see Myra under Lycia. And so it makes sense that a grain ship from Egypt is, is in the port of Myrna uh, to the north of that. And so they continue on with difficulty against the winds in, in verses 7 and 8. Uh, 
verse 6. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when he had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty they had arrived off Sinaitis, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, and we, and we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. And so they're, they're taking the long way. They're, 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 this is late in the season, and so they're, they're not as far as long as they should be. Uh, the, the fast in verse 9, it was already over, and the fast is, is tied to the Day of, of Atonement, and so that means we're in, the, we're in the fall of late September and October, and, and sailing in these seas uh, it shuts down from November to mid-February. So with danger lurking around the corner, Paul advises them in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to advise them and, and said to them, Man, I, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. See, Paul's counsel here in verse 9 and 10 comes from his own uh, personal experience and wisdom. A special revelation will come later in the chapter. Here, Paul's counsel comes from personal knowledge, from Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 27, a span of nearly three decades. Acts records about 11 to 12 accounts of Paul traveling to some destination by sea, about 3,000 miles worth. And, and, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he says, three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day I was adrift at sea. Paul is a well-seasoned and traveler who has probably even studied the subject, and so he knows what he's talking about. The captain of the ship and the, and the pilot, who is probably also the owner of the ship, they want to take the risk. They want to try to make it to, to Rome before, before the winter. They want to try to, actually, they want to try to get to a better dock before they, before they take to Rome after winter, that is. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. The centurion was being more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to set sail from there. If somehow they could arrive at Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. The captain of the ship, the, the pilot, the owner of the ship, uh, they realize that the harbor that they're at, it, it's not conducive for wintering. It, 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 it's, a, it's a kind of a small, a, small, uh, a small harbor, and so they realize that their asset, the ship, is going to face a lot of damage during the winter. It's going to delay their, their, their trip after those three months to Rome. A lot of costs are going to be involved. A, a lot of money is going to be, be there. And furthermore, Emperor Claudius has given extra incentives to traders willing to take risk in this dangerous season. And these, these incentives continued under Nero, the emperor of the time of, of chapter 27. Furthermore, any loss during this late season would be recompensed. And, and so what's obvious here is that the ship owner and the, and the captain is being motivated by greed. They don't want to lose their... Uh, they, they don't want to risk uh, damaging their assets. They, they want to get there to Rome as, as, as fast as possible. And so all of that is worth more than the lives of those who are on the ship, almost 300 people. 
the ship and the ship owner and the captain, they have everything to gain financially and nothing to lose except for maybe somebody's or everybody's lives. This is how criminals think. Paul's words here, on the other hand, is they're motivated by love for his neighbor. Remember, remember, the Lord Jesus has already explicitly told Paul that he was going to arrive in Rome. Paul knows that even if everybody dies on the boat, he is going to survive. So he doesn't need to say what he says in verses 9 and 10. He's a prisoner, unjustly imprisoned. He has no obligation to the other prisoners, nor to the centurion, and least of all to the captain and the pilot. What is the mark of Christian nobility? It is love for others. Even when wronged, even when you're being held, by your, held prisoner by your enemies, it's having the courage to make your voice heard especially when lives are hanging in the balance. It, it's overlooking an offense. It's overlooking petty offenses and, and hurtful offenses and deep offenses and, and then doing all doing the right thing for others when the situation demand, demands it. If there's a need, if there's a vacuum of knowledge where you alone can fill it for the common good of your community, Christian nobility fills that hole. That's what heroes of the gospel look like in the world. That's what Paul is doing now. Uh, Paul is living out the, the answer to question uh, 107 in the Heidelberg Catechism that we said together this morning. God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, and merciful, friendly to them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. That, that's what he's doing. That's what Paul was doing. So, so is Paul a criminal? That's the question. Is Paul a criminal or a hero now? Well, in this first scene of this Odyssean-like sea journey to the centurion, as much as he respects Paul, as, Paul is as, as nice a guy as he seems, is still a criminal to the centurion. Look at verse 11. The centurion was being more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship. For after all, Paul is in chains. After all, Paul, there's, there's some crime he, he, he's committed of some sort that he needs to, to see Caesar to resolve. So right now in the story, Paul is looking like a criminal. The leadership of the boat, they decide to push out to Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. They want to protect their assets. So is Paul a criminal or a hero? Well, let's, look at, let's, look at, let's move to point two to find out. Point number two, Paul's anchor in the storm, verses 13 to 38. Your true self comes out when the fire is burning all around you. It's in the crises and it's in the emergencies when the real you shows up. In scene two of Paul's Odyssean sea journey to Rome, we, we see the real Paul. We discover the, the core of what makes Paul, the man that he was, in the middle of, the, of, a, of a storm, Paul has an anchor. In the midst of the storm, Paul has an anchor that, that keeps his heart grounded. Well, they, they start off well enough in verse 13 along the shore of Crete. But before long, the, the ship finds itself in the middle of a, of a violent storm, verse 14, called a, a Eurekilo. And, and verses 15 through 17, the, 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 the crew loses control of the ship, and the ship drifts 400 miles from where they started. I wish I could really show you that. That area that I tried to point out to you, it was known as a graveyard for sea vessels. 
They're, they're throwing everything uh, overboard. And look, verse 18, there it says, they, at the next day where we be, being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the car, cargo because they don't want to sink. The boat, the boat is taken in water. These are, these are desperate measures. They, 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 third day, they cast the ship tackle overboard with their own hands. They, they, they can't see. They, they, there's no stars. There's no sun. They have, they have no way of determining their location. They don't, they don't know where they are. Verse 20. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and, and no small storm was assailing us. They had no gear, no sun, no stars. Verse 20. No hope. All our, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. At this point, we need a hero, don't we? And a hero we find as Paul recognizes the fear and the suffering of the, of the ship's crew encourages all the men with his words. Verse 21, they had gone a long time without food, whether they were anxious, whether they were afraid, whether the ship's tossing and turning had made it so that they couldn't keep their food down. Whatever the reason, they, they lost their appetite. And, and, and the first thing Paul says to them is that they, they need to eat. They need to, don't worry, eat. And, and, and then he says this, verse 21, Men, you ought to have followed my advice not to set sail from Crete and to avoid this damage and loss. Now Paul isn't saying, doing this to make them feel worse, like I told you so. No, he's appealing to them. He's, he's trying to convince them that he's a credible speaker. Remember when I told you that? Remember I told you that you shouldn't sell from Crete? It's because I, I said that because I love you, because I care for you. I don't really need to tell you this. I don't need to go out of my way to save you. I know I'm making it to Rome. I don't know about you guys, but I know I'm going to get there. So trust me. I know what I'm talking about. You might think I'm a criminal. You might think I'm a I'm a I'm this I'm this low life prisoner, but but I I'm not. I know what I'm talking about. And then verse twenty two he says, "I want you to be happy, cheerful. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Nobody's going to die. The ship is going to the ship is going to be lost. The owners aren't going to be happy about that. But the owners don't care about their lives. The captain, the pilot." He doesn't care about their, their families and their welfare. But God is the opposite, opposite kind of person, isn't he? God, God doesn't care about the boat. He cares about the lives of the ship. And, and this heart of God is in the heart of Paul. And so, and so God intervenes and through an angel gives Paul a revelation about the outcome of the storm. Is there anyone here in the storm? Does it look like your ship is about to go under? Well, if so, I'm going to give you some anchors. Here's, here's the first anchor, the anchor of God's ownership. Paul says in verse 23, For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong. Paul's anchor is knowing who owns him. Paul's anchor in the storm is knowing to whom he belongs to. You see, if you repented of your sins and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you belong to him. We belong to God like a bride belongs to the bridegroom. See, my, my, my bride, my wife, she belongs to me. There's a picture on, on Facebook I have, and I'm kind of like and holding her, and I, and, I, and I really like that picture because it kind of shows that this is my wife, and I'm here to protect her, and she's mine. We, we belong to God like sheep to a shepherd. John, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, in verse... 
14 and 15, Jesus says, even as the Father knows me, and well, he says, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. I know my own and, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You belong to God like sheep to a shepherd. We, we belong to God like a child belongs to his Father. You know, I told you before, I'm very afraid of dogs. I got bitten by dogs when I was a kid like 50,000 times. So little dog, small dog, I don't care. I see a dog, I, I, I'm, I, just, I, just, I just cross the street, you know. But when, I, when my kids are with me, when my children are with me, it's, 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 it's just weird. Like if there's a pit bull there, there is not a, a modicum of fear. I don't fear, I'm not afraid at all. Because they're my kids. And I'm, I'm not going to do anything. There's nothing I'm, I'm not going to give up. There's nothing I won't do to protect my boys. Because they belong to me. They're mine. See, we belong to God because he's our father. We, we belong to God because he has bought us not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb. 1 Corinthians Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. We were bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. 1 Peter says, says that you were not bought with uh, gold or silver. silver. First, actually, Second Peter ch chapter 1, he says, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, our anchor in the storm is the anchor of God's ownership. You need another, you need another anchor? You need another anchor. Here's another anchor. It's the anchor that comes through serving God. Look at verse 23 again. Paul says, For this very night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. See, I serve the God who is going to rescue us from this storm. Paul knew that nothing could harm him unless God had allowed it. In another storm, on the same sea, centuries earlier, Jonah had no such anchor. He, he refused to serve God. And because of that, the entire uh, ship crew rebuked him. But God, on the other, but Paul, on the other hand, in this situation, God was blessing him in the storm. He was undergirding Paul in this in this this ravaging sea storm because because Paul was serving his Lord. All those who consciously serve the Lord Jesus Christ as best they can, as best as they can, experience this kind of sustaining assurance. This is one of God's gracious gifts to the committed. And Paul knew that in the fullest degree. Are you serving God? Are you serving his church? That will be an anchor in the storm. Let me give you another anchor for the storm. Uh, the anchor of, of faith in God's word. Verse 24 and 25. This angel sent by God from heaven to Paul says to Paul in verse 24, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold... 
God has granted all those who are sailing with him. This is the plan, Paul. And Paul says, hey, this is the plan. And this is also God's word. Verse 25, therefore be cheerful, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Because Paul knew this God, because Paul knew that God owned him, because Paul knew this God through serving him, he, he was able to trust in his word. See, if you're owned by God, if you're serving God, that, that, that all assumes that you have come to know and, and trust this God from his word. In God's word, he, he, first he reveals his character. First he reveals his nature to you. Before, before God commissioned Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, he revealed his nature to Moses. Moses said to God in Exodus 3, Hey, before I, I tell them you sent me, I need, to know, I need to know your name. What is your nature, nature like? Who are you? And God says, I am who I am. All that I am, all that God is, I am that God. There's nobody like me. Nobody can define me. I'm above you, but, but the great I am, I come close to you through, through my grace. He comes close to us through his son. You see, Israel needed to know God's nature before they would trust his word from Moses. And likewise, we also need to read and study and, and to listen to God's word in order to know him as he is. And then as we grow in our knowledge of him through Christ, then our faith grows in his word. Then, we, then we're able to trust him in the storm. We must know God in his word before we can trust what he says to us in his word. How will you trust in God's word if you never read the word? How will you trust in God, God's word if you never read the word? If you never study the word, if you never go deep in the word, how will your faith grow? See, if you never, if, you're, if your faith is weak, it's because your, your time in the word is shallow. If you never study the word, if you never go deep in the word, your, your faith in his word will never be deep. Shallow dilly-dallying in the word produces a shallow dilly-dallying kind of faith. And it's, it's because Paul had these, these anchors. He, he had peace while others around him were afraid. He had joy while, while those around him were filled with despair. He was strong, he was confident while everyone else was weak. And listen, all these anchors were spiritual anchors. Not physical ones. The physical anchors of the boat did nothing for the crew. Physical anchors are useless in the storm. So the 14th night came in verse 27, and we were we were being carried about in the Adriatic Sea, that area that I showed you. They're just kind of they're just they're just wandering around, lost. They don't know where they are. But they get they get close. They get to they get they head, they get to land. Land is approaching. Verse 28, they took soundings. The sounding was basically they, they uh, had a metal object. They threw it overboard, and they would drop the rope down. And if they could pick up something with the, they had oil on, the, on this metal thing, and they could, if, the, if, the, if the oil kind of uh, uh, picked something up, they, they would realize how, how uh, deep they were and how close to land they were. And they, and they found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther, they took, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. So, the, so they're close. And fearing that we might run aground, something on the rocks, they, they cast four anchors from the stern and were praying for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay down 
anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain on the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. By the time we get to verse 31, Paul is commanding the ship. And guess what? Look at verse 32. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Paul is directing all the action. The whole crew trust him. Because to cut away the ropes of your emergency lifeboat was taking a big, big risk. Now the only way to get close to the land is to maneuver the main boat as close to the shore as possible. So the actions of the soldiers in verse 32 show just how, many, how much they trusted Paul. Verse 33 to 38. Day was about to dawn. Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your salvation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. And having said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he, and, he and, he and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them became cheerful. And listen, they themselves also took food. They're all, they're all listening to Paul. They're all trusting him. Paul is acting like a king. See, what's king is in power. Paul certainly doesn't have any kind of official authority on the boat. What's king is Christian character. That's what's being displayed right now. Christian character is what makes it obvious that when we share Christ that we're not criminals. See, when we tell somebody they're a sinner, when, they, when we tell somebody they need to repent and to turn to Christ, the, the first impulse is to think that we're some kind of enemy trying to hurt them. And it's Christian character and it's love for our neighbors and it's care for them that proves to them, that, that, that shows them that, that no, we're not what you think we are. John Patton, a missionary to the Hebrides Islands, they were islands near uh, Australia off the coast, uh, the east coast of, the, of Australia. He, about 1800, uh, John P Patton was a, a missionary to cannibals, an unreached people group. And so, you know, John Patton, he would go to these, these, uh, these cannibals and he would say, hey, you know, what you're doing, that is a sin. That is a sin. And God will condemn you unless you repent and turn to Christ. And, and he would do that all the time. And the cannibals, they would get so angry, they would just pick up spears, and they were like, we're going to kill you for this. And John Patton's response would be, guys, remember, I've been living here for two years. You know I love you. Look at all the ways I've served you and helped uh, 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 you know, plant your crops and build your houses and, and take care of your children. Remember, I love you. And then the cannibals would put down their spears. And then he would do it again. And then they would pick up the spears again and he would say, no, no, guys, remember. This is me we're talking about. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a criminal. I'm a hero. I'm your friend. So what do you think, guys? What do you think? Is, is Paul a criminal? Is he a criminal or a hero by now? And the answer is becoming increasingly obvious, right? But the trip isn't over, right? They're still not in Rome yet. And so point number three, we find the final confirmation of Paul's status as a hero and not a criminal in verses 39 through 
28, verse 11. There's one more anchor that Luke gives to us in the storm, and that's the anchor of God's sovereign power, working for our good and for his glory. They find a bay with the beach, in verse 39, and they were going to drive the ship onto the beach. As we see in 28, verse 1, this is the island of Malta, and so they drift 400 miles, they get to Malta, kind of further left of that map. And, and you, can co- you can go to this bay now. It's called St. Paul's Bank. So if you ever go to Malta, you make sure you visit that, that area. And so they, they drive, they, they, they try to drive the boat toward the beach, but the, they, let, they cast off the anchors and they hoist the foresail. And, but in verse 41, they strike a reef and, and the vessel, uh, the bow, the front of the boat sticks and and the back of the boat, the stern, begins to be broken up, verse 41. And, and in verse 42, the, the soldier's plan is to kill, the, to kill the prisoners. You know, most of the boat believed that Paul was a hero, but apparently the soldiers, to the soldiers, it wasn't enough. Paul was a criminal. And so <clears throat> the, the soldier's plan was to kill, to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. Back then, if you were a soldier and, and one of your prisoners left, that, that could... That could end your career. That could, that could end your life. The centurion, verse, 30, 30, verse 43, wants to bring Paul safely through, and he kept them from their intention. See, the, the centurion knows, the centurion is finally convinced that Paul is not a criminal, that he's too noble to be a criminal. He's too much of a hero to die this way. And, and, and furthermore, uh, all the prisoners will listen to Paul anyways because so we don't have anything to worry about. And it says in verse 44, they swam over, they swam, they jumped aboard, they got to the land, the rest followed on planks, others on various things from the ship, and listen to the end of, look at the end of verse 44. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. How many? Verse 37, 276 persons, all brought safely to land. That's what Paul told all the men what was going to happen. Because God told him that even though the ship would be lost, every single person on the ship would be saved. Everyone on board lives at the end of the sea journey. They arrive safely on the beach because of God's sovereign grace. You see in the Odyssey, on the sea voyage home to Ithaca, Odyssey's ship also suffers a shipwreck and everybody on board drowns to death except for Odysseus. And that makes sense according to the world of Greek mythology. The gods are undependable, they're untrustworthy, they're, they're jealous, they're, they're not sovereign, all-powerful. They don't even have the ability to, to save them all. Even, even if they wanted to, there would be some other god getting in one, one other god's way. Not so with this god of scripture. He is sovereign and he's powerful and whatever he says goes. Whatever he says happens. In the book of Jonah, God almost kills everybody on the ship in a storm because of a rebellious servant. But in Acts 27, the opposite is true. God saves the crew only because his faithful servant is on board. And there's likely a subtext going on in this chapter. There's kind of an undercurrent of, of what Luke is trying to communicate to the reader. God is saying to the Gentile crew and to the Gentile reading this portion of Acts, and maybe even to us, 
God is saying that if trusting Paul's word about the ship saved all their lives, and that's what happened, look at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ships, you yourselves cannot be saved. See, if, if trusting his word in verse 31 about a ship saved them, then every single person who trusts in Paul's word about the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved too. God has the power to save you from a storm, yes, but even much more than that, God has the power to save you from the storm of God's judgment. Every single person who trusts in the gospel that Paul preached will be saved. So is, is, Paul, is Paul a criminal or a hero by the end of chapter 27? I mean, to the Gentiles in, to the Gentiles in, uh, in chapter 27, to the Gentiles who first read this chapter, to be a survivor on a ship in a storm was the evidence that you were, you were favored by the gods. To die in the seas in a storm meant that you were cursed by the gods. And so in this particular case, the, their perception is, is almost is, is true. Uh, uh, Paul is a hero, right? Because this, this storm, not only was he saved, but the rest of the crew saved. This is, this is, this is our final confirmation that He's not a criminal, but guess, hey, hey, we got to stop a little bit because we're still not in Rome. We're still not in Rome yet. And so in chapter 28, they're on uh, the island of Malta. The, 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 the natives are very kind to, to the crew and Paul in verse 20, in verse 2. And then in verse 3, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. A, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. So this viper that looks like a stick bites Paul. The, the snake is clearly poisonous. The natives know their own snakes. And, and this is what they conclude in verse 4. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer! And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has, has not allowed him to live. You guys were all fools. You thought Paul was a hero on the trip. You, you thought he wasn't a criminal, but this proves he was. Paul was lying. He was, he was manipula manipulating you. He was acting like a righteous guy, but he wasn't. This snake bite proves it, everybody. Paul is a criminal. He's not a hero. Imagine the irony to survive a shipwreck only to be killed by a, a poisonous snake. The gods are telling us, this guy is a murderer. Gentiles, listen, look at verse 4. Justice has not allowed him to live. My version has justice, the capital J, and that's right. It's that it was a refers to the Greek goddess of justice. She was the virgin daughter of Zeus. She kept watched, kept watch over injustices on the earth. Reported them to her father, who dispensed final justice. You thought he was a. You thought Paul was a righteous man. He's obviously obviously a criminal, right? Not so fast. Verse five. However. He shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were waiting for him to soon swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, changing their minds, they began to say that he was a god. God says, you know what? Paul's not a criminal. Paul's righteous. 
natives are wrong about their gods, they're wrong about Paul's status. But they are right in this unique instance when God testifies through this, through their primitive beliefs, that Paul is a righteous man. Yes, he's a prisoner, but make no mistake about it, Paul is a hero in chains. He's not a god, no, but he's a noble servant of the true God. Is Paul righteous? Verse 7. Now in the areas around that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying afflicted with fever and dysentery. And Paul, going to see him and having prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul, a righteous man, verse 9. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being healed. See, the natives at the beginning, they, they thought, indeed, this guy is definitely a murderer. This, this guy is definitely a criminal. And what ends up happening is Paul heals the, the entire island who are sick. No. Paul is a hero. Paul is a hero. Criminals don't do this. Criminals don't help the sick. But noble men noble women of the church, they do this. Heroes of the ch church, they, 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 they love their neighbors like this. Well, at the end of the three months, at the end of the winter, verse 11, they set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. The, the twin brothers, they were, they were first century symbols of justice. They guarded the truth. They punished perjurers in court. It's as if God is telling Rome and the world on this ship, that, hey, Paul may be in chains, but he's not guilty, and he's not a criminal. No, Paul is righteous because he brings with him a gospel of righteousness by faith. No, sir, the, the church is not a criminal society. Our gospel is not the evidence that we're criminals. Even if you drag us to court, even, us, even if you put us in chains, no, our gospel is the only boat that saves. And if the church is the only human institution in the world that preaches that gospel, that means that Christians are not criminals. We're the only heroes in the world. We're the only heroes that the world has. See, in the Odyssey, the hero of the story, Odysseus, it's not obvious that he's a hero. I mean, hundreds of years later, uh, people read the book and they say, what are you talking about, Homer? In Dante's Inferno, Dante puts Odysseus or Ulysses in hell. But no one who reads chapter 27 can mistake Paul for a criminal. See, in this country, our, our culture more and more looks at the church the same way History looks at the story of Odysseus as opposed to Acts chapter 27. So much of what we espouse about abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism makes us look like criminals in their eyes. And if that's what makes us so increasingly hated, just wait until they find out what we believe about the gospel. I mean, trust me. They would hate us more for the gospel than these moral issues if we just preached the gospel to them more. Peter and I, we go to campus GMU every other week, and student after student, they never heard the gospel before. 
they don't know what it says. But if more of them did, if more of them knew that one sin makes them a sinner, if more of them knew one sin sends sinners to hell, our story would look much like Paul's story in the book of Acts. See, the persecution of the Jews in Jerusalem is the evidence that Paul preached the gospel clearly. They got it, and they reacted accordingly. See, today's passage, Luke writes, writes to encourage us that if we're, if we're taking the gospel to somebody, somewhere, to Rome or to our next door neighbor, and if we're walking worthy of that gospel, don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that you're a criminal. Because according to, 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 to today's passage, there is no greater hero in the world than the one who preaches Christ. Are you that hero? 